Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, it can be found on page 682. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming rot? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for, for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. When did you get baptized and what led you to make that decision? So I was baptized at age 12. And for me it was... Even though I'd grown up in a Christian home, my parents were missionaries and God had always been present and real to me since I was a kid. At the age of 12 is when I really had the first awakening to the fact that I was personally sinful. I was personally in need of a savior. And it was that first moment where I realized that and responded by saying, well, Jesus, I need you. I want to follow you. And so 
that was when I first decided that I, I wanted to make that public step and, and be baptized. Um, I got baptized when I was 18, and what led me to that decision was finally getting the chance to say and um, for myself that I want to be part of the church community, I want to be part of the body of Christ and not feeling forced to, but making that decision for myself. And what difference would you say that's had in your life? I think it's 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 given me a a definite point where I can look back and realize I've made a public declaration of who I belong to. That I I um, I belong to Jesus. This is who I am. This is my identity, and it's helped it's helped me have a foundation to be able to stand through through later times where I've gone through struggles and gone through, you know, crises of faith? Um, I think initially at the start, it wasn't something that I was even really aware of what difference it made right away. I think it took quite some time for me to really feel like um, I understood the life implications of baptism because I knew that I wanted to make that declaration to my family and to my friends and also as a, a witness to myself that I had made that choice but I think um, if you had asked me at the time when I was 18 like right away do I, do I see um, how baptism has made a difference in my life I wouldn't have been able to tell you um, but I think as the Christian journey is a process. I think that being baptized and the um, the outworking of that was also a process too. And what would you say to someone who wants who's thinking about baptism? I would say that it's not about being perfect or having your life all together. It's about making a public statement that you've died to your old self. You've died and you've turned your heart towards Jesus and that you, you want to tell the world that you belong to him, that you, you want to walk with him. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really important step and you see it, you see it, um, you see it in the New Testament where believers, they come to faith and they get baptized straight away. So, um, I don't think you have to wait until you're ready or until you've reached some sort of level of maturity. It's, it's something that you should, you can, you can do right from the start. I would say that before you get baptized, you often think to yourself, am I ready to do it? Like, am I, do I have all my ducks in a row, so to speak? But you never, you never are really ready. There's never a time where there's ducks in a row. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died on the cross for your sins, then that's the time you should get baptized. Well, it's a real joy to be with you today and to speak about this topic. Uh, one of the things I've learned about uh, trying to get a video together is some of you are not aspiring actors and actresses. Uh, many of you don't like to be on camera, uh, don't want to be recorded. Uh, hopefully that's not because you're uh, nervous or worried, but maybe it's just you don't want to upstage anybody. Uh, but I appreciate those of you that shared, and I heard some anecdotes even about what baptism had meant uh, to some of you. Uh, sometimes we think, well, our, my story is so very common, it's so very ordinary. 
But the couple of stories that I heard really encouraged me. Uh, they really strengthened my faith and reminded each of us that it's an important step. Uh, what I want to start with today is just a... Um, I want to talk, uh, as Ian spoke a couple of weeks ago about discipleship, I think that baptism is one of the marks of a growing follower of Christ. I don't think it's the only mark, but I think it is one of the marks of a growing disciple of Jesus. And so what I want us to do today is to look at biblical, to look at a little historical, and then to, for each of us to come away with a greater conviction. Uh, the kids today play a game where you try to make like an okay sign and you try to catch it below the waist. And they try to trick people. They try to sneak up and do this little game. My intention is not to trick anyone. At the very beginning, I want to let you know, if you've been baptized, I want you to leave this Sunday with a great encouragement and a great faith of what God has done in your life. And if you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you to take that step, to think about what God might mean in your life and for you to consider being baptized. Uh, when our children were first born, uh, I was scared to death that uh, what was going to happen when we left the hospital. Uh, Jenny's great with kids. She's trained. She's educated. She knows what to do. Now, I was not. While they were in the hospital, it was no problem. But taking them home, I was pretty nervous. So for those of you who have had small children or have a sp small family right now, I want to start with some encouragement today. Maybe the only reason you got up out of bed to dress nicely on this Sunday morning in the rain was so you might know about is your child growing and going the right way. This is from Parent Magazine of December of this year. If your baby calms at your touch and at the sound of your voice, it means there's a good relationship and there's some emotional bonding. If you're changing 8 to 10 wet diapers a day and their baby's gaining weight, it means they are getting nutrition, and that's enough milk, plus the fact that you're probably not sleeping. If the baby's quiet and attentive at least a few times each day, it means the baby is learning. If the baby turns their head toward new sounds and listens, it means their hearing is developing and the brain is discerning sounds. If the baby looks at patterns, colors, and movement, it means that the eyesight is developing and that the brain is developing. If the baby makes eye contact, smiles, and even flirts with people, even though it might be a girl, the baby is probably becoming social and happy. And the last one, if the baby cries a little less and sleeps a little more regularly, means that the nervous system is maturing. Now, it would have been great for me if I'd have known that at the beginning. These are some signs I can know that my child is doing well. And one of the things I want us to look at today is what is a sign that you're growing as a believer? Now, people often ask me, how do I know if I'm going the right direction in my spiritual life, I think baptism is one of those things. Now, you might be not surprised that a Baptist would speak about this topic, uh, but it, actually it's quite important to all evangelicals uh, because just after Jesus died and was resurrected, he had his group of followers together and he began to speak to them about the very last things. Uh, he gave them what we would call a pep talk or a charge or a, a commission. And it's what believers ever since then have said, have called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. At the very beginning, when Jesus talked about being a follower of his, a disciple, as Ian spoke about just a couple weeks ago, the first thing that he mentions is baptism. Now that's about the place where most evangelicals agree that we should be a follower of Christ and that we should be baptized. And from there we go a lot of different directions. Uh, throughout history, sometimes we have sprinkled, sometimes we have poured, sometimes for security reasons. Uh, we have not always immersed or dunked. That's where we kind of diverge. 
But what I want us to do today is to look at what did Jesus mean? What did the Bible talk about? And what does this mean for us personally as individuals, as followers of Christ? Jesus said in another place in John 14, if you love me, you keep my commands. We don't like that. We like to know that we love God because we sing his songs, because we show up for service. But if we love him, we will keep his commands. And one of the last commands he gave us was to be a follower of his and then to be baptized. According to some research, only 80% of Christians have been baptized. Now, if you look around, that means that there's maybe 150 people here. That means probably 120 of you are baptized if you're a follower of Christ. But 30 people are not Now, it would surprise us, but it's often surprising those that have not been baptized. Up until the Reformation, it was almost synonymous that a believer had to be baptized. It was only Zwingli that began to say that, no, it's not essential for for salvation, but only 80% have been baptized. According to Barna Research, the state of the church, he had some metrics for how do we know if we're going the right direction. One of the things that he said was attending church once a month. Well, you can tick that box off. You made it here last one of the Sunday. You can tell extended family you made it to church this month. He said Bible reading. Uh, we all just heard the Bible read, so that means we're going the right direction. Prayer weekly. Have you prayed this week? Has there been something you've prayed for someone else or for someone uh, need in your own life? Giving, generosity. Not only does your life, but your talent, your time, and your treasure shows that you're growing. Are you volunteering? Are you giving beyond your own needs of, to the needs of others? And are you involved in some sort of small group? My intent today is not to create diversity. Uh, My intent today is to provide biblical clarity, to provide greater conviction, and to be thankful for those of us that have been baptized. I want us to walk away today realizing this is a marker in my life, as Ian and as um, Selena mentioned, that this is something I can look back to and realize God's grace and his kindness in my life. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and said, There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. I would like at the end of this morning that each of us would be greater encouraged by the love that God has for us, by the grace that He's shown to us, and that it would bring us closer together and not further apart. It would be a great testimony, as Preston spoke about just a few months ago, to the world if we were one, if we were unified on the things that really matter. But in order to do this, we're going to have to do a little history study. We're going to have to do a little language study. And even though it's break and I know you're all off, I think you can stick with me for a few moments. And we're going to look at a word, a Greek word to get us started. The first word is baptizo. And uh, this word is very important because it shows up in other parts of, of literature. And initially it just meant to dip, to plunge, to soak, to immerse. And it was even used in ancient literature of how you would make a pickle. Uh, you would actually take the cucumber and you would baptizo it into vinegar to actually make a pickle. So there was nothing magical about this word. There was nothing spiritual about it. It just meant to, um, to dip or to immerse. Uh, There's even some references in Mark chapter 7, verse 4, that when uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, when Jesus was speaking about the Pharisees, he said, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, the pitchers and kettles. So when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, he wasn't saying that they they take their, their cups and they ceremoniously dip them in the water so that they can become clean, religiously clean. 
He was just saying, no, they actually dipped them in the water to wash them. There was nothing special or magical about it or nothing uh, divine about it. Also, when the Pharisees uh, criticized Jesus in Luke eleven thirty eight, 38, they said, but the Pharisees were surprised when they noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So there are times in the New Testament when the word baptize actually just means to dip, to wash. There's nothing spectacular about the word. But there is an interesting thing about this word, baptizo, if you could go back one slide. Sometimes when the English translators got to this word, they used the word wash. They just used the regular word for that. But sometimes what they did instead of using the word wash is they took the Greek letters and they just put them into English. So they took the beta and they put it into B. They took the alpha and they put it into A and then all the way up to baptizo. And they created a new word in our English language called baptize. Because this was something brand new in their minds. This was something that had never taken place in history. And they were trying to, uh, to place an importance upon the significance of this new event. And so there are times in your New Testament, your English New Testament, when it is translated wash. And there are other times when it's translated to baptize. And we're going to look at what that distinguishing uh, time was. Now that's your language lesson. Now your history lesson. After the time of Malachi... Uh, There was about 400 years, about 10 generations, when there were no prophets. There were times when there was no one that was prophesying about God. And the people began, they had returned to the land of Palestine. And they still had the temple, a a new temple. uh, But they did not have their their same uh, level of unity as a nation. Well, the nations around them began to be interested in what was taking place in Palestine. They began to watch, uh, they were fascinated with a monotheistic God. They were impressed at the the morality of the Jewish people, and they began to join and join themselves with with the Jewish race. And as that happened, people began to say, well, I would like to become Jewish. What do I need to do to join your faith? And what we learned from uh, Julius Scott and others is that there were about five things that someone had to do in order to become Jewish, to identify with the Jewish faith. And these are some of those things. One was that they were to abstain from idolatry, immorality, and ceremonial defilement, and they were to acknowledge the law. They were to say that the law that I've been, the the pagan gods that I've been following are not the right way. And I'm going to now choose to align myself, to submit myself to God's ways and to God's laws in the Torah. We would call them the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the first thing that they were supposed to do. The second thing that they were supposed to do was to become circumcised. And you know this became a problem later on at the First Jerusalem Council, that there weren't many men that decided to become followers of Judaism. This was an older procedure. This was something that took place when a man was older. There was little anesthetics. And so you can imagine this was a big barrier uh, to becoming a Jew. The third thing that they had to do was they had to offer a sacrifice. Depending on their income, depending on their amount of money, they had to offer a certain sacrifice. They also had to have a covenant meal with those of the community to celebrate together and to say that they are aligning. But the fifth thing that they had to do was they had to have a ceremonial washing. They had to have something private that was between them and God, and it said that they were aligning themselves with Judaism. And this is what took place for almost 400 years between Malachi and John. And that's what we have taking place here. Now, after after a time in the text that we heard this morning, we have a gentleman that comes along. And he is a very different individual. He's probably not someone you would have invited to your Christmas lunch or your New Year's party. He lived out in the wilderness. His name was John. John was someone whose hair was a little different. 
His clothes were a little bit different. You would have probably thought he was crazy. And he began to show up on the countryside and began to have a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He would look at you and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It was very simple. There weren't many points. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And people began to think about Isaiah. They began to think about the prophecies that way back in our history, almost 400 years ago, even more than that, there was someone who said somebody would come that God would revisit his people. And they began to see this man. And some of them began to go out there. They began to go out into the Jordan River. And as they meet him, they began to be baptized. It's a public decision. They're baptized in the Jordan River. And his message is simple. It's that produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you've made an internal decision, show something external that provides evidence of that fact. And he begins to talk and baptize and many, many people go out to see him. Maybe some to see the show, maybe some because they're convicted, but many people continue to go out and see this man. And John begins to speak about someone who's coming after him, who was before him, who is greater than him. And the most of the people around probably have no idea what he's talking about. Is this man really gone completely crazy? Who is he talking about? And this man, he begins to say, this man will take away the sins of the world. His shoes, the very bottom part of his apparel, I'm not even worthy to carry those, much less to be in his presence. That man is coming, and that man will take away the sins of the earth, will take away the sins of the world. And at one point, this would be one time when all of us would have liked to have been on the banks of the Jordan River. When Jesus stepped out of the pages of anonymity, and step right onto the pages of human history for his public ministry. He had been watching John maybe for a, for a while. He had seen what John was doing, and he is, decides that he is going to step into the water to be baptized. I mean, John would have been waiting for this moment for many, many, many years. And as he sees this, he is overwhelmed. John said to change your ways or you'll miss it. It was something brand new. And John's baptism was the first time in history that someone else baptized someone else. In Judaism, it had always been a private, individual ceremony. But this was now the first time when John was baptizing someone else, proclaiming that a new ministry was taking place. Why did Jesus get baptized by John? Uh, one, I think it's, it indicates what baptism is. Baptism is an affirmation, a confirmation of a message that someone has received internally. Jesus affirmed that the kingdom of heaven was near. It, it couldn't have been more near to them at that moment than they would have ever realized that the kingdom of heaven was right in front of them. The best picture they would ever have of knowing God was right in their midst about to speak to them. But it also indicated humility. Uh, let, let's face it, it's a, it's a humbling thing to step out in front of others and to publicly confess something that may cost you something. But Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to publicly confess to others that the kingdom of heaven was near and that he affirmed what John said. Did, did Jesus need to be baptized for his sin? Absolutely not. Uh, there's no indication here that Jesus was, was uh, someone who was under the law he, that had ever committed sin, said that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. There was no sin. There was no need for him to be baptized to wash away anything. But he said it here that it's so that it may fulfill 
all righteousness. Can you imagine, John? This is the one he's spoken about, the one that he is to prepare the way for. And yet he feels so humbled. And yet he then at that point baptizes Jesus. It says that he will, uh, he will baptize you with his Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus' baptism was going to be something completely different. The baptism that he was going to give to his disciples was going to be something completely different than John did. It said, let it be so now in verse 15, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And what happened at that, what happened at that moment, it, it was pretty incredible. At that moment, the heavens were opened and Jesus saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It was a moment of affirmation of Jesus. It was the beginning of his public ministry. And he heard at this point from the spirit and from the father and the son. One of the clearest pictures of the Trinity at this point about who God is and about what that happened and what took place. The one I love, the one with whom I am well pleased. He identified with God and with his kingdom. It was a new relationship. It was a new commitment. It was a new time. There are some differences between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism that he would later administer and encourage his disciples to do. Because you remember that in uh, Acts chapter 19, there were some believers that arrived that were in Ephesus. And they had been dispersed at some point before they had been baptized by Jesus. And they began to say, we've heard about John's baptism, but we don't know about the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus said, you received a baptism of water. That, and I, but I will baptize you, but the disciples then would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with power. The first thing that you have in your notes there is that baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Baptism is something that we do publicly to affirm what has taken place inside. Who should be baptized? Those who have believed in Christ for salvation. In Acts 2.41, Luke documents it, but those who accepted his message were baptized. Uh, it's almost just an immediate follow through. It's an immediate action that takes place as a result of being a follower of Christ is that those who believed in his message were baptized. Acts eight twelve says that, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Uh, oftentimes when you, when you attend a birthday party or you, you receive a gift, uh, you have something inside that you're grateful for. And you're thankful for the gift that they gave. But if you, if you never say anything about that, then it only stays internal. It only stays as an intention. Well, I, I was very grateful. I just didn't say anything about that. And, and what do we usually think about people like that? We think, well, how arrogant. Why wouldn't you publicly confess and appreciation for that gift? Well, in the same way here that those that have received Christ inside need to make a public profession to others and those around them. It's an internal change that results in an outward demonstration. Uh, everywhere that it takes place, it's into a new community. Uh, there's only one example in the New Testament of someone who was baptized outside of a local community. And that was the Ethiopian eunuch by Philip on the road. And that's, it's, it's, it's not that it can't happen, not that it's not possible to happen. But it's helpful for us as we begin to build our theology and our understanding to realize that it's not wise to build all of our faith and practice on one example. When most of the examples about baptism take place within the community of a local church. But it also says that we're baptized into a greater Christian community. I don't know about you, but if you've traveled to another country 
And if you've been a part of a fellowship or of a small group or of a Bible study or even a worship service, when you meet a Christian and believer in another place, there's an immediate kinship. Uh, that, that doesn't happen just because you speak the same language. Oftentimes you don't speak the same language and you're trying to communicate with people. But there's an interesting, amazing, divine kinship between those that have placed their faith in Christ and that have been baptized into this new community. But it always takes place, most of the time it takes place in the New Testament within the context of a local church. I remember that when I was, was baptized, I was a young man. Uh, and for, for each of you, th- this experience will, your understanding of baptism will depend upon your upbringing, upon your context, upon that which you received. Most of us have not done intense study into what baptism means. It's the, the context, the, the family, the, the tradition we grew up in. But I can remember that when I was a young boy and the preacher gave an invitation, he said, for, for those of you that like to, believe, to be believers today, to place your faith and trust in Christ, I'd like you to come to the front and speak with a pastor. I still remember today tugging on my mom's skirt and saying, I think he's talking to me. And my mom's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's just talking to everybody that's out there. You can just be quiet. We'll leave here in a little bit and go have lunch. And I, I remember that afternoon just thinking about that. No, I really think he's talking to me. Like Ian said, that there came a point when I, I realized that the, the message of Christmas wasn't just a long time ago, but it meant something for me. That no, I hadn't created, hadn't done heinous crimes and hadn't gone away and spent all the family fortune, but there was something in me that was separated from God and that I needed to make that right and I couldn't make that right. And I remember speaking later that afternoon to the pastor and with my parents and I said, I think this is something that I need to do personally. I need to receive God's forgiveness. I need to profess this faith to others. Some of my friends were being believers. Some were not even paying attention to what was going on on Sunday morning. But I realized at that point, this was something I needed to do. And one of the things after we prayed that night, I remember my, my mother upset and weeping. And I thought, this, this is a joyous occasion. Now, this is something that you've encouraged us to do, to, to follow Christ with all of our lives, to repent, as John said. And I remember the pastor saying, now one of the first things you need to do is to be baptized. You need to follow up this commitment with something on the outside to say that what has happened on the inside is real. Not to negate that anything on the inside is not real, but to publicly say to others, this is who I am and this is who I associate with. The second thing, baptism is a personal declaration of a new association. Uh, this is something that, that we believe throughout the, throughout the church is that baptism is something that individuals do. That individuals, when they understand who Jesus is, who God is and what he's done in their life, it's something that they do personally. We don't baptize entire families. Uh, we don't baptize uh, children simply because of the faith of their parents. We baptize those who understand what it means to follow Christ. And it's important that we do this as individuals. If you've come from a Christian home and from a, a godly upbringing, that's fantastic. But that family heritage alone will not allow you and usher you into God's presence. It's a personal public declaration. It's something that it's important for each one of us to do. I encourage you right now, if you've not been baptized, to think about what, what's holding you back. Was it like Selena said that maybe you don't feel like you're ready? Maybe you don't feel like you're, you're ready to make that step. You don't have all your ducks in a row, as Selena said. Uh, I remember someone asking me, if, if you wait to get married until you're perfect, you'll never get married. If you wait to have children until everything's in a row, you'll never have children. 
And I would say the same thing about your spiritual life. If you're wondering, what can I do in 2019 to grow closer with God? If you haven't been baptized, it's time to make that decision. It's time to take that step and say, yes, I want to publicly identify to my friends, to my family, and to those around me that this is real. I was speaking with someone in the church who went on uh, a condition of anonymity, and they said, well, I, I was dating a young lady, and in her religion, it was important to be baptized. And I realized I, I didn't want to go that direction. I was in college. I realized I didn't want to go that direction. But I realized that my faith, I had wandered a little bit from my faith, and it was time for me to make a personal decision. And so I waited until I went back from where I was going to college until we went home so that I could do it in front of friends and family, those that knew me and those that cared about me. And he said that when I made that decision, one year later, my mother was baptized and two years later, my father was baptized. To me, that was just an encouraging story to realize that when you're baptized, when you go into these waters, there's nothing magical that takes place in those waters. There's nothing mysterious that takes place. It's just your life becomes a public testimony of God's grace and of his love. In that moment when you're baptized, you will probably speak to more people about your Christian faith than many of you maybe in your entire life. And that's an incredible opportunity to share about the personal way that God is working. We often pray that your story would intersect with their story as you tell his story. Now, that's what I pray for each one of you tomorrow and the rest of this year and the rest of next year, that you will share your story and you will listen to their story and you will tell about his story. It's a personal declaration. But the next thing is that baptism is not a condition for salvation, but an evidence of salvation. As I mentioned before, up until the Reformation, pretty much it was considered that baptism was part of salvation. Uh, there were some that even said if you weren't baptized, you were not saved. And Zwingli came along and said, no, that's not what we believe. That there's a better understanding that baptism is an evidence of salvation, but it's not a condition. You might be thinking, well, then why are you putting such importance on it? Because it's the first thing that Jesus said when he talked about being a follower of Christ was that we would baptize others. You know, it's important. Um, it's evidence, but it's not a condition. Because in the first Jerusalem council in Acts 15, when Paul comes back from his missionary journey... There, he's telling about the great work that's being done among the Gentiles. And they're beginning to say, what do we now have to encourage these new believers to do? Do they still have to get circumcised? Can you imagine the guys in the other room going, I hope we still don't have to be circumcised. Well, do we have, still have to do this meal? Do we still have to hold to the law? And what did the council say? They said they should abstain from food that, that was given to idols. They should refrain from sexual immorality. And we should not hinder them to walk with the Lord. There was no mention of baptism. There was nothing that said it was essential and required at that point. So we know it's not required for salvation. And also in the story of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, one of the great fathers and patriarchs of the faith, there's no indication at all in that story that he was ever baptized. We know he was circumcised, but there's no indication that he was ever baptized in a special way. Preston mentioned this verse, and I think he ended a couple weeks ago when he talked about gifts it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, there's no religious work that you can do last year, this year, or any year in your life to produce yourself in righteousness with God. Uh, you can't give enough money. You can't attend church enough times. You can't sing in the 
the ensemble enough. You can't lead worship enough to get in a right standing with God. That's only by faith in Jesus Christ, by what he did on the cross. But the first evidence of that, of that internal decision, is a decision to be baptized. To publicly say to others, this is something that's important for me, and I want to identify with the church, with Jesus Christ. There are some examples of people who didn't get baptized. Uh, If you began to read your scripture even deeper, and hopefully this morning will encourage you to dig deeper into what baptism means. There are some who were not baptized. There was the paralytic man when Jesus said, take up your your mat and walk. There's no evidence he was ever baptized. Uh, The tax collector, the the thief on the cross is probably the the biggest example when people say, well, I don't need to get baptized. You know, I'm I'm just fine. I I believe in God and I follow him and I attend church and I, I don't need to get baptized. That's just... That was an old thing. But the thief on the cross realized his position in life. If you really want to argue that one pretty strongly, he had probably about an hour left, about an hour left of his life. He realized that this other thief over here was just blaspheming and cursing God. And he realized, what are you doing? We're here justly. We've disobeyed the, the laws of the land. We're getting exactly what we deserve. This man has done nothing. He's done nothing to to deserve this. And yet here he sits in the same position as we are. And then he looks to Jesus in the middle and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, I mean, if it's works, what does he have about an hour? Maybe he can get a whole bunch of good works in that one hour to save him. Of course not. It's all by grace. There's no chance to fall away and come back to God. Because there's, no, there's not much left of his life. And if any of us would say, well, he doesn't deserve it, we, we might say that in a, in, a, in a dry moment. But Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that's the message of Christmas. Hope, forgiveness. Just when you think you couldn't be at the very last stage of life and of hope, you turn up, you do what John said, you repent, and you turn to God. And you give him the best and the rest in all of your life. And that man was never baptized. If he had somehow made it off, if the story was different than what it was in Scripture, I imagine it wouldn't have taken him long to find water. To say, I want to publicly identify with Jesus. I want to do whatever he's asking me to do for as ever long as I have left. I want to be baptized. In Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, These are two steps. Don't mistake in that for just being one combined verb and one combined command. These are two separate steps. Uh, If you place your faith in Christ this morning and on the way out something unforeseen and tragic happens, you, you will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. But if God gives you more time and more life, it's an act of obedience of discipleship to say, this is something I want to do. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say whoever doesn't, isn't baptized will be condemned. It says whoever does not believe will be condemned. Belief is what aligns us with God and with his purposes. The last thing here, baptism is a symbol of new life. There's a number of passages I just want to highlight. Three, one is Colossians two twelve to fourteen. Uh, some of you may have had this read at your baptism, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
That's why it's such an empowering picture. We see people that go under the water. It's like they're, they're dying to their form of life. They're saying no to themselves. They're saying yes to God's kingdom. They're saying, yes, I identify with Jesus. And this is the one I want to follow. You were made alive in Christ. You have a new way to experience life, to know life, and to walk through life because of your belief in Jesus. In Romans 6, 1 to 4, when Paul is speaking about the grace that extends to us, he says, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Well, some were saying, well, that if, if we keep sinning, that just magnifies grace as we begin to ask for forgiveness. Maybe God will just give more grace. Paul was like, that's absurd. Our reaction should not be continuing to sin. But it said, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him with baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I thought it was encouraging what Ian said. There was a, a foundation I could look back to. You know, it, it's difficult for me to judge your life uh, based on what your intentions are. But often that's how I judge my own life. I judge my own life based on my intentions, not on my actions. But others judge me based on my actions. When, when John spoke to those who were receiving his baptism, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you've repented, there should be some evidence in your life that you're following and walking with the Lord. One of those is that you're living a new life. If I looked at your life, if a friend looked at your life, would they say that you're living a new life? Would they say it looks a lot like the old life? And I hope today, and I hope that even throughout this next year, that you'll be continuing to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. You'll be more like one of his disciples. You'll be following him. You'll be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. And the last one, 1 Peter 3.21, this water symbolizes baptism that saves you now also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It is that saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How's your conscience today? As you, in the quiet moments of this, as you listen, as you worship, how's your conscience right now? Is there anything that if you're a believer, you need to, you need to repent, you need to turn away from and say enough of that. I've lived a long enough like that. That sin has had enough power over me up till now. It's time to leave that in 2.18. It's time to now to walk in a new way, in a new way of life. For those of you that were baptized many years ago, it can be a picture of what God did then and what God wants to do every day of your life. He wants to set you on a new path. He wants to allow you to point others to Christ. And he wants to give you a clear conscience toward God. What's next? Well, I think there's two categories of people here today, at least. If you've already been baptized, I would encourage you, tell someone about your baptism story. Allow their faith to grow as you share your story with them. And ask someone you don't know very well about their baptismal story. And if they've not been baptized, it might be an encouragement for them to think about that and for them to take that step. If you've not already been baptized, I pray that you would be convicted. I pray that you would be challenged to think about these things, to dig deeper into Scripture and to think about what God might ask of you in this next year coming up. If you're local, I encourage you to speak with an elder. Our pastor will be back in town next week, and I would encourage you to, to talk to him. Just because I want you to, in full honesty, no one asked me to speak about this topic.
Uh, there's not somebody out there whose husband said, hey, you need to talk about this so my spouse will get baptized. That, that's not the intention. I just know that it's an important step and it's a marker for all of us as we begin to follow Christ. And if you're not in Prague and you're just attending today for the holidays or for this season, I encourage you, when you get back to where you're going, to talk to someone who's a follower of Christ. Talk to a Christian leader and tell them, I, I want to take seriously my walk with Christ in the new year. And I think that God's asking me to be baptized. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the, the presence of John. We thank you that his life was characterized by radical obedience to you. And that he spoke about your kingdom. And he encouraged those then to repent and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Father, I pray each of us might be like John, that we might repent, we might turn from the ways that dishonor you, and we might honor you with our lives. I pray we would point others to Jesus and that we would affirm that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, for those that have been baptized today, I pray that you would seal that day, that experience in their life, and they would leave this place today rejoicing, overjoyed of the grace that you've shown in their lives. Because we are now baptized into your death, by your power, by your spirit, and we're in a new community. May we live a new life. And for those that are not baptized, I pray that you would encourage them today. That they might begin to put aside their issues of having everything together. And they would just publicly profess that you are Lord and you are Savior. We do all this for your glory and for your church. It's a great day to be one of your children. In Jesus' name, amen.